Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be back at church, to be back in the pulpit um, after a bit of season of, of illness, and so thank you all for praying for me. I am uh, feeling a lot better, uh, as I've told many of you. I think it was the uh, licking of a spatula that, uh, that gave me possibly salmonella. I've been doing that for 37 years, and I will continue to lick that spatula, brown, uh, that spatula from the brownies, um, even if I have to miss church here and there. All right. But thank you for your prayers uh, for me feeling a lot better. We're going to continue with our sermon series in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And thank you, Todd, for reading that so well for us this morning. It was years ago that I encountered um, an author whom will remain unnamed because in today's context, we can't hear a name without thinking what political party they associated with them. What do they believe? So I'll keep him... Uh, uh, his name to myself, he's got some good things to say and some bad things to say, and he's a Christian. But this is one of the good things he had to say. He said, we live our lives according to our resume virtues. We live our lives according to our resume virtues. But he said, look, as a Christian, you shouldn't care fully about your resume virtues, but actually about your eulogy virtues your eulogy virtues. Now, what did he mean by that? Take a moment here. I know it's not Ash Wednesday, but imagine your own death. Imagine, matter of fact, your own funeral service. Imagine it here in this sanctuary. Imagine that you're invisible and sitting in the back. Now, not a ghost, but you're invisible in the back, and you're, you're listening to me or to some other priest or pastor uh, preaching preaching at your funeral. I was told years ago that a good funeral sermon ought to pay, yes, some honor and tribute to a life well-lived and some of those resume virtues, but it better never stay there because those aren't what actually matter in the end. But could you imagine, though, a pastor getting up and saying, well, here we remember our beloved so-and-so, fill in your name, went to an Ivy League school, was a, a multi-millionaire, had several kids that are very accomplished in their fields, a hundred grandkids, all saving the world out there. 401k, it did great. A wonderful instrumentalist and vocalist, classically trained, served on the altar guild for 35 years, was a subdeacon for 15, was a lector. And my, my, could they read that word. Imagine all of that, all good things, but that's where it ended. That's it. That's all that they had to say about you. You see, the resume virtues will be burned up in the end. Do you agree? They'll be burned up. It's those eulogy virtues, it's the most important things about you that matter now and in eternity. And in our reading from Philippians 3, Paul's going to make the point, not that all of your accomplishments 
should be just thrown out and hated and trampled upon. For I bet you that Paul was a pretty good tent maker. Do you think that he was like a really shoddy tent maker? That was like, well, I count everything as just full on rubbish, including a call to be excellent in my vocation. So I'm making these really terrible tents. Do you think people would have listened to what he had to say if he was a terrible tent maker? No, no, I'm sure he took, he took um, some pride in what God had called him to do as a tent maker and the apostle to the Gentiles. But he knew that what was important in this life was more than that. It was knowing Jesus Christ through faith. That's it. That's what will not be burned up at the end. Let's begin at the end of our section here. Paul says, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We don't talk enough about the afterlife in church, and I'm going to be actually preaching on it on All Saints Day. It's appropriate then. The resurrection from the dead is real. You are going to die unless our Lord returns. I'm going to die unless our Lord returns. And the wonderful, beautiful thing is this. If we have been found in Him through a faith that is alien to us, that means it came from God and has been given to us, if we are found in Him, praise God what joy we can take in this life. You don't have to continually measure yourself up to the world and others' resume virtues because there's always going to be somebody who did it better, who had more money than you, that was smarter than you, that invented things more than you wanted to invent things. They were the better singer, a better musician, a better father, a better husband and wife and spouse, all of that. There is freedom in not thinking according to your resume, but according to your eulogy and finally the only thing that matters in this life, that we have been given faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I say that it all is prolegomena to get into the text. Years ago in seminary, um, well, we, we had to take these classes, these ministry practicum classes. Has anyone, has anyone ever had to take a practicum class in any field whatsoever? Okay, three of you. Oh, great. Anyone else? Anyone else? Oh, a few more. Okay. Oh, great. Great. Okay. Yes, most of us have, whether it was in high school or um, or uh, graduate or postgraduate degrees or undergrad degrees. And usually it's the practicum classes that are, you're just like, what is going on here? Practicum classes. Seminary, just teach me the Greek and the Hebrew and let me be, you know, this excellent theological scholar. I don't want the practicum. But in the end, it's the practicum that really matters <laughs> so often. But I'll never forget in one of those practicum classes that I was forced to take as a seminary student, this older professor who had been a pastor for, by that, I think at that time, probably 40-plus years, he was in his late 70s, he said this. He said, students, keep the main thing the main thing. Here I am, this arrogant um, seminary student, the main thing. Well, what do you mean? Can we not nuance the main thing a little bit? Give me more. The main thing, what do you... What are you talking about? The main thing. I want some theological um, uh, axioms to give to my people. I want us to grow in all ways of knowledge. And I want, I want more than the main thing. And he was like, look, keep the main thing the main thing. If you are in Christ, when you die, it's not the end. <laughs> That's the main thing. 
And Paul is getting at the main thing in Philippians chapter 3 here. The main thing. And the resurrection from the dead is the main thing that we have a security of in this life. But a little bit more on that prolegomena before we get to the text. It is really difficult to put our faith in things that are unseen, isn't it? It's tough. It's tough to think about the life to come, to think about our own death, to think about what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, what it's going to be like to experience death and all these things. It's difficult because it's all in the future. It's all for us hypothetical as it were right now. It's much easier to think about our accomplishments, what we've done in this life, and to basically find our identity and the reason to live in those things. But here's the thing. Those are not the main things. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. It is safe for you. And he goes on with this long section. I'm just going to read it. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying this. You Philippian Christians are not Jewish. You're Gentiles. And there was a sentiment, really, in in many of the churches that Paul was writing to, that if you were a Gentile... Not only did you have to have faith that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, you had to practically become a Jew. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised. Not just as a matter of conscience, but as a matter of the covenant being secured for you. And Paul is saying, look, that is wrong. That is wrong. What links you to Christ is the Spirit of God by faith. That's what links you to Christ, the Spirit of God by faith. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's saying within the flesh and in the law, he was was wonderful. He was great. His, His resume virtues were impeccable. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Not on the seventh, not early, not on the ninth, not late. On the eighth day, according to the Torah. Of the people of Israel, I'm a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness, as to righteousness under the law, and finally, blameless. He met all of the resume virtues in his life. And he's about to say all of that, all of that, I count as beside the point, and even stronger the language than that, as rubbish, as refuse to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul's words here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Our lives are lived um, in accounting terms between two sets of data, profit and loss. That's how we we function so often in our lives. Now, again, for those of you that keep good budgets at home, profit and loss is something that's a part of reality. If you're a business owner, you need to know those things. Those are not unholy things. But we tend to categorize our lives as profit and loss. 
profit over here. Here are the things that are the resume virtues over here. And then loss is when something is taken from us that we don't necessarily want to be taken from us. And Paul turns all that upside down. You see, and this is where suffering comes into play. Because Paul is going to talk about suffering here in just a moment in our section. Suffering is the thing that Paul says, through suffering, we are able to see what actually matters in this life. What actually we count as profit. What we count as loss. For the profit in this life is knowing Jesus through faith. That's the profit. That's the thing. That's the main thing. And everything that is stripped away from us in this life, everything that can be taken away, your money, the life of a loved one, your reputation, all those things can be taken away from you. But you know what cannot be taken from you? Is the fact that you and I have been grafted into Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, God himself for eternal life. That cannot be taken away from you. That's the true prophet. And when we experience loss in this life, that is through suffering, we start to feel whether or not we really put a lot of stake in what God has given us in faith. I mean, have you been there in your life? When something is stripped away from you, is taken away. Something that actually is, is not, I don't mean sin, I mean something that's good, you know, can be intrinsically good. It's taken away from you and you feel as if life isn't worth living anymore. It's all, it, it's over. You feel like you can't go on. It's because we need to be re- reminded of a reorientation by the Holy Spirit that actually the main thing is the thing that cannot be taken from you and me. That is the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything else falls from that. I want to go back to something I said earlier. Do you think that Paul was probably a pretty good tent maker? Oh, you're shaking your head no. Who was that that shake their head? Okay. Stand now. For, uh, stand. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. It's not that being successful in worldly standards is a bad thing. We're not a bunch of people who as Christians are just, wah, wah, we're always depressed and sad and we're grumbling. No, no, no. Be excellent in what you do. But remember that if being excellent in what you do causes you to replace the main thing for something else, you've got to ask God to remind you and to reorient your life to the main thing. Paul says, look, if it were resume virtues, I'm the man. I've done it all. But here's the thing. I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing, not just knowing about. We as evangelicals talk about a relationship with Jesus. And that's a good word. The word relationship is a very good word. I like the word communion even better. We commune with Jesus Christ himself through the reading of the word of God through the sacraments, through prayer, by being in community, being ready to pray for one another, whether it be for deliverance from sin, whether it be for thanksgiving, we experience Jesus in those ways. That's how we know him. Too many of us in the Christian faith know about him, but we actually function pragmatically as um, as many uh, Hindus will function when uh, when given the truth about Jesus, they'll, um, they'll say, okay, well, that's fine. Like, I will, I will put him 
amongst the other gods that are up there. And he's one of many. And I'll kind of pay my homage to him. I know about him and what is said of him. And we function like that too often as Christians. No, no, no. Um, all things begin and end in him, the main thing. And that main thing allows us to endure suffering for his sake and just the normal suffering that comes through li- uh, with life and through life without falling away. Paul makes it clear in verse 9. We're found in him, wanting to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There are many of you, and even me, of course, at many times in my life that need to be reminded, God is not asking you to work your way to him. He's not asking you to work your way to him. He's asking you to receive what he has accomplished for you. And in walking in that accomplishment, you are going to be transformed. Back to suffering for a moment. I think suffering is that crucible in which um, our faith, yes, is tested so often. But it's that crucible that we can look back to when we've come through suffering on the other end. We can look back and we can say, our faith was gold. It was real. It wasn't fake. The Lord had brought us through it by faith. And the main thing stayed the main thing. Moving on here in closing, chapter 3, Paul says this. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He puts the main thing at the center of this book in the middle of chapter 3, attaining the resurrection from the dead by faith. But you see, the power of the resurrection is not just for the life to come. It's for the life here and now. Think about this, and I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost done, um, so, so bear with me. Think about those sins and those modes of thinking that you can't get out of your mind, that you need deliverance from. Think about those things. Think about maybe the hate that you have in your heart that you cannot let go. And if you were talking to me in the confessional booth, you would say, Father Michael, look, I have hate towards X, Y, and Z. Maybe everybody. Or maybe you have a secret life of sin, some sexual sin that's going on, that you're like, I need deliverance from this. Or maybe it's just the malaise of life, the um, asadia, that, that noonday devil where you're walking through life and you're like, I just, I'm worn out, I don't know what to do, what way is up and down, I'm exhausted. Maybe that's you, and you need deliverance. Maybe when you think about God and your future and what has happened to you in your life, you are angry. Maybe you need deliverance from that. Let me remind you, the power of the resurrection of Christ takes root now, can take root now. And it begins now and it moves across the River Jordan to the new life to come. But here's the question. 
do we desire it at all cost? Um, when Todd was reading, see, Todd's a great reader. And so if you listen to a great reader, you can hear they emphasize certain things. At the very end, as Todd was reading, he, he, he did something like this. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the main thing, that we're striving to attain it. And what did Paul mean here? Not that it's through our works. He's going to go on at, uh, in our next, our next sermon. I'll hit on some of this. That we're on a pilgrimage in this life. We're on a pilgrimage to attain that reality that has been set in stone through the cross. We're on a pilgrimage to attain that. But here's, here's the final word. Prayer, suffering, and joy is the title of this sermon series. And I want to bring this text home in prayer, suffering, and joy. Then I'll pray to close us. Prayer. Brothers and sisters, praying to God, communicating to Him with an open heart and an open will and an open mind allows us to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection here and now. I can guarantee you, because I have walked it, and I'm sure we'll walk it in, in the future too, as a fallen human being on a pilgrimage to that holy city like you all, it's at the times when I don't pray or I don't pray that as I should that the main thing kind of evaporates. When you pray, you're connected to God Almighty by the power of the Holy Spirit. He encourages you. He reminds you that it's not your worldly achievements that save you or that give you identity. It's the fact that you have been granted the resurrection by faith. So pray. Now suffering. I've hit on it a bit as I've preached here this morning. You see, suffering allows us to see where our hope actually lies. And there are going to be points in time that your hope does not lie as it ought to in our Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to inspire you again to hope in the resurrection. That our boasting can only be in that fact that God came to us. Not that you're the best accountant or doctor or vet or teacher or stay-at-home mother or whatever it might be, but the fact that you've been redeemed. Suffering will show that to us. And then finally, joy. I find that when we are enslaved to our resume virtues, like the ones that Paul was giving up here in chapter 3, it's that when we are enslaved to those, the joy just goes, just, it's gone. Because we move into comparison, that great thief of joy. We only care about what the world cares about. And then we realize we're never enough. We're never good enough. We're never as good as we ought to be. And what a depressing way to live, would you say? What a terrible way to live. But there is freedom in the gospel. Freedom in what has been declared about you and to you. It's a freedom finally to rejoice that you and I, here and now, are partakers in the power of the resurrection. So what does this mean? Pray, <laughs> suffer well, ask God for joy. Don't get caught up in those virtues that at the end of your life are really meaningless. 
Still live your life with excellence, but do so by keeping the main thing, the main thing. And when you look at the life of our Lord, the main thing that was spoken over him by his Father in heaven was this. You are my well-beloved son, and I am well-pleased. Would you, brothers and sisters, hear that again? And with that in mind, take those ledgers, the profit and loss, combine it, and put the faith and the resurrection that you've been given at the top and let everything else flow out of that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.